0: On this episode of This Caregiver Life Honoring Lisa, I'm speaking with Michael, who was Lisa's spouse and my good friend. Lisa and and Michael were married for 25 years. In the last 14 months of their marriage, Lisa had a, a very aggressive form of ALS. Lisa passed away last August. I'm so grateful for Michael agreeing to spend some time today and give us some insights into this terribly difficult, always terminal disease. Before we get started on the interview, I'm going to play a PSA public service announcement that the ALS Association produced. It features Terry Bradshaw, a former football player, and Pat Quinn, who is a person with ALS.
1: I'm Terry Bradshaw. Like many of you, I took the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge Back in 2014, my man Pat Quinn here, well, he's one of the founders. Thanks to all of you who took the challenge. Hey, Pat, you know what we should do this year? The ALS Bull Riding Challenge. Cut. The ALS Rattlesnake Challenge. Uh, The ALS Rocky Mountain Oyster Challenge.
2: Cut. I think you should stick to football, Terry.
1: Hmm. Probably right there. Look, there's nothing fun about ALS. It robs a person of their ability to walk and talk and eventually breathe. It's always fatal, usually within a few years. And it's emotionally and financially devastating to families. There is no cure yet, but we're making great progress. Since the ice bucket challenge, we've seen new ALS genes discovered, new assistive technology, and new potential treatments in the pipeline. This is one brutal and complex disease. But if we can cure ALS, we can cure anything. So, please join me and my buddy Pat here in the fight against ALS. Let's
2: go Giants.
1: Giants? You say Giants, you never told me. Nobody told me he was a Giants fan. He told me he's a Steeler fan.
0: Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Okay, so this is our episode 42 on this caregiver life, and I have Michael Bolin. Um, did I say your name correctly? Last name? Correctly? Yeah. Said okay. Michael is a uh, was a caregiver for his wife, who had ALS with dementia. Did, is that how you phrase that, Michael?
2: Um, technically classified as cognitive impairments, FT okay. frontal lobe dementia,
0: but part of the ALS uh, diagnosis. Yes? yes. Together. Okay, and that is not a very well known uh, part of ALS is that there can be that cognitive impairment with ALS. But we know differently, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So more people can have it than they realize. And I've read a few studies on that. And that's always challenging, complicating a very difficult, can be a very difficult diagnosis. Um, The road to diagnosis can really be a challenge. And I know it was for you. So Mm -hmm. let me just backtrack for a second and explain to our listeners that Michael and I, um, we are online friends, which I have many, many online friends because ALS itself is fairly isolating as a disease for the person who has it, who we call a pals, people with ALS and for their cows, caregivers with ALS, because it's difficult for any one of us to really spread our wings and be out in our community. There's a lot of care that goes on that we have to give and then our our pals, tend to be more homebound than not. So virtual living is something we're, we're really good at, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Michael and I met each other, I guess a little over a year ago mm-hmm. in an online support group specifically for spouses who care for their, their loved one, their, um, I guess their significant other or their spouse who has ALS. And that's how we found each other because who knows better than people who are dealing with it every day, right?
2: Lifesaver for me. So every morning
0: we said, good morning, Linda, Linda, and I won't say her last name. So Linda and our group did a beautiful hello every morning. And we, we had a lot of fun doing that.
2: We did. I I couldn't imagine if I didn't have, hadn't found the group. If Mm -hmm. Diane didn't get me involved in it right away and, you know, say, here's something that you, you can go ask questions to people that actually know. Instead of being completely isolated from, you know, from diagnosis on, they, when they basically tell you to prepare for death, and that was what we were doing, but knowing that there were ways to prepare better than others through other people's experiences was the best best thing ever for me.
0: So I is our many tribe friends,
2: many friends like you that I will have for a long time.
0: Well, for life, you know. I mean, so so that's our tribe. And we we did a podcast the other day. Um, with a few other people and Jennifer McInday is my co-host and she's not with us today this is a special podcast that I wanted to do with Michael Um, and we talked about finding your tribe right because we were were trying to really share out with people who are so dramatically affected by the COVID virus whose lives really came to a standstill in mid-March and they still haven't really found their footing and if anybody can lead the way in helping others adjust, it certainly can be caregivers because that's often happened to us. Yesterday, we knew nothing about what was happening with our loved one, and then today, the world basically came to an end for us, right? So um, just figuratively, it came to an end for us. Uh, usually. And so we've adapted so well with the diagnoses that we live with, and so we're, we're trying to help people who you know, the surprise attack of COVID came to them. And one of the things that we've done is we've talked about our tribes. So this is my tribe. It's a very special tribe and a very challenging tribe in some ways because in our uh, support group online for ALSS caregivers, there's a lot of death that we see. I, I, I lose words on how to express my condolences to somebody after a while right? Because we've seen so much of it. And sometimes we connect more with some people than others. And you and I made a great connection. And I would love for you to share, um, oh, such a fast diagnosis for you guys. It was such a fast time that you lived with ALS from diagnosis to Lisa's death. Um, But if you could share just a little bit of... leading up to her diagnosis, because that's such a powerful story, How where your relationship was with her and then how it changed after diagnosis.
2: All right, I can't remember the exact year or the time. Going back, um, Lisa's dad was put on her brother's doorstep in Michigan with dementia from his girlfriend. That was their agreement way back when. We didn't know about it or anything to that extent, so... All of a sudden, we just got a phone call one day that Lisa's dad had dementia, and he was in Michigan with her brother. So from there, everything started to free fall, so to speak. We decided we were going to go out and visit him, and we were going to take Lisa's mom. They had been divorced for a long time, but he was the father of her children, and she wanted to go out and see him. So we went out and saw him, and everything was good. We came back, and then Lisa's mom had an aneurysm and died suddenly at 65, and So now we had her father with dementia and he actually went to Cedar Rapids and was in the VA hospital up there and So after her mom died, we decided we were going on vacation with Lisa's brother from Michigan. We all went to North Carolina and that's when we got the news that her dad died. So we drove back to Massachusetts after vacation was over from the Outer Banks. Drove straight to Massachusetts. We dropped the kids off with my father and me and Lisa drove to Michigan. So in two days, we went from North Carolina to Massachusetts to Michigan. When we were out there, everything was just seemed a little weird. I mean, I was going to see her dad who she hadn't been in touch with much. I had only met him for a couple of years out of the 25 that we were married. So things seemed a little bit different. Um, at Lisa's father's funeral, she was given shell casings from when they shot off the, for the funeral. And when they gave them to Lisa, she started crying uncontrollably. Like I hadn't, I hadn't seen in 25 years. Well, 20, like you know 25 years of us being together. Something that just, it was a moment that I was just kind of taken back. Like I almost just turned like, what is going on? And then the 15 hour ride back home to Massachusetts, things had changed. And she was more reclusive, more in, introverted, kept to herself a lot more. And we, me and my three kids, we all just felt like she didn't love us anymore. Like we, it was a slow process of just continually her being independent, sitting on the t- sitting on the couch watching television, not really caring about dinner, not caring about laundry because I would do all that stuff anyways. And then. She was going for a physical and I couldn't handle it anymore. She was having trouble swallowing iced coffee, holding it down. And then she told me that her finger hurt. So I said, go get a physical. By the time we got her physical, our insurance switched. They had to get a new doctor. So I got a new doctor and within three weeks she was diagnosed with basically, um, actually, I'm sorry, five weeks. She was diagnosed from her first visit for a physical to ALS diagnosis in five quick weeks.
0: Wow, that is a very fast
2: track. Her first, The first sign was that she had a meningioma on her brain stem in the back. She had a brain tumor there. We weren't sure of that, but that was the first thing we heard. So we were like, okay. Had to go for a CAT scan, another MRI. Came back in and they told us that she has that. It's not sure if it's affecting a pituitary gland which would cause her for the reflexes and all the other things that were going on. So we were thinking, all right, she has a brain tumor cancer. Um, we'll get that dealt with. After we went back, that's when the, the, I'd say the young neurologist who she was in tears, I said, I don't know how you can do this for work if you get so involved in this. And she's like, it hurts because Lisa looks so young. Mm-hmm.
0: You
2: know, 5'4", 105 pounds, there's nothing to her. She's, I definitely upgraded myself with her. And so from there, we get reference to, the. um, we could either go to UMass Medical or into MGH. Well, UMass Medical was closer to us and basically we were told that just, we need to go see somebody. So we went and saw her out at UMass Medical and we got out there and Lisa was diagnosed, you know, basically on the spot. They did, ran the tests and came back, and it was, you know, so from April twenty third, which was our anniversary when we first heard about it, until June first, when she was diagnosed officially.
0: So, so early on, though, um, what were the years like? How much time transpired from when she first had cognitive changes? Was that just a few months, or?
2: Um, No, it was probably. almost a year and a half two years
0: almost a year and a half, and that okay. must have been very painful for you and the children
2: if it was because I was in between careers well it turned out that it was good that I was able to just jump into being Lisa's full-time caregiver which that's what she all she wanted and that's really all I wanted to do I didn't want anybody else there I wanted to catch up on the time that we had lost over the previous two years
0: correct I can understand that
2: so, yeah, it was about two years and it was, you know, she went to her physical before and the doctor said she was fine. I'm like, yeah, she's not fine, but it's very tough to address your wife, the person you've been with since you were 22 years old, that they might have a mental illness. That's, a, that's That to me was a very tough thing. And people looking at me going, is your wife drunk? You know, is something wrong with her? And for me, it was like, yes, I know something's wrong with her, but how do I address this? And then it just came to the point where I was told my kids that I was not going to be sticking around and living this life after they went to college. And-, and
0: so, That must've been hard for the children too, although they probably saw where you were coming they
2: from. Def- they definitely saw, they felt my oldest one and my wife never had a really good contact, when, connection when they were he was younger, but when they got older, I mean, I've never seen him cry once. Since Lisa was diagnosed through death or anything, I've never seen him cry. His girlfriend's handled that part of it, and I think he left that away. But my other two have been as emotional as I have. Mm-hmm. And well, that's what kept us together. We were we never we were never really rich. We were a family. We yes. did everything together. We didn't need anybody else. The five of us did everything together.
0: You were a good a good team as a family. That yep. sounds like to me. And I've I've seen photos of you with the kids and um you sharing the kids you know on your facebook page some of their successes and things like that and i i've looked at some of the photos of lisa with the kids when they were young and you know a good family strong family and it's it's hard it's such a hard disease in that way i i always say it strikes the seems to strike the nice people it's the nice people
2: Uh, absolutely i it's tough because you look at all different walks of life and there's good people and bad people. I'm I struggle to find the bad people in ALS. I really do. I just think that they're almost too nice, too subdued. I I, I don't know what they are, but I mean at least I had the same quality I've met with other pals and that they were just you know, off the charts nice people. Never wanted yeah. to hurt anybody and it seems like they just got the worst possible thing handed to them.
0: Yeah, I'm you know, trying to think of like what other diseases come in rate as bad as ALS and I mean Alzheimer's is, is a terrible disease as well. My mother has Alzheimer's and that has been a very painful disease to witness and I don't even witness it as much as my sister and my brother do. They she's we moved her three thousand miles from Florida to California last year. Yeah. Uh, and we're in North Carolina knowing, and I wanted, I did want to take care of her. And my family said, well, you got to be crazy. You're not, we're not even allowing that to happen because no. that, there's too much for you. Um, it, it, and it that was, would
2: be, that would be something that would be very difficult to deal with the, having two people to deal with. And I'm seeing that now Dealing, having to deal with, dealing with Lisa, I would do anything for her. It was not a problem. I become more comfortable. This is the fourth time I've seen the gentleman today. So today was a lot better than yesterday was, Mm -hmm. as far as emotionally goes for me, because today I just kind of felt like I'm just helping him. Put everything else aside and just realize that you're doing good for the entire time that I was there.
0: Yeah. It's really important that you're, you're part of their care team. And we'll talk about that in a minute. I wanted to ask you, from the date of diagnosis to the day that Lisa died, how much time transpired for you and Lisa and your family? 14 months. 14 months. That's very fast, Michael. You, We couldn't be more opposite in our experiences with AOS.
2: And I think, Mary, that's the beauty of it, because me and you can both relate to each other, knowing of our differences, but knowing that we can still help each other. And that was the big thing with the support group. I don't think people understood it was more... We got information from each other, but we we had that little pickup, that little just kind of to get you up out of bed. And when at three in the morning, that you know a lot of people you, you start looking and you go, how do I do this? And then you, Mary's doing it, yeah. um,
0: Jenny's doing
2: it, Diane's doing yeah. it. All, everybody's doing it. Joe's and,
0: doing it. You know, yeah, we do. on there, you know. There's other. Yeah, it didn't
2: are... matter. Yeah. and that was the beauty of it. This the support. It said. It was invaluable. I couldn't, I can't really put words into it knowing that for a a guy as a caregiver, I jumped into a group with predominantly, I'd say 90% women.
0: True. It's true. And And I
2: jumped on posting. I didn't, I didn't, I never thought of you guys as women. I thought of you as caregivers in the same boat I'm in. Yeah. It was like we were all getting information from each other.
0: Our tribe members. That's what we were doing. Just sharing it as our tribe members. So if I said, Whoa, I'm so I'm so tired. I know that you see me. I know that I don't have to explain why I'm tired, right? Nope. And that just is knowing so so opposite for you, because you went so fast with the disease, your responsibilities um as a caregiver just grew exponentially over time. You could wake up and Lisa could not probably move her hand one day that she could move the day before. It was yep. just so every day.
2: Yeah. That the path to yeah, her is up. I think for somebody like you, the progression it's it's slow for Tom where you notice something's gone wrong. With yeah. Lisa, I could watch it kind of like race up her leg,
1: mm-hmm. knowing
2: that the fasciculations were gonna be those were only gonna be here for a few days because then she was gonna lose complete control of it.
0: Yeah. So to explain what fasciculations are like that. So I always explain them just for lay people who are not living this ALS life, they're like um, high speed, high intensity twitches. They are not a twitch, but to understand what it looks like under their skin. And it's the message in their nerve from their brain going to their muscle. And it's a total miscommunication. It's misfiring. So a vesiculation with ALS is malignant. It's not a benign little twitch you have in your eye or your right. or something. It's a very powerful thing that's happening. Like I can hold Tom's hand, um, and he can't even really hold hands anymore. It's just like you know, you know, yep. what about. just fingers. He, he,
2: you guys hold hands your way now. Yes, that's-
0: you feel tr- the energy. Just is all through his hands. He never stops moving. There's never really a part of his body that stops moving. It's it's yep. amazing that he can even be ambulatory in the house though so i expect and i've said this before on the podcast i could be podcasting and hear him fall maybe and then i'm done with toast i'm off the podcast i've got to go help him he's yeah. not falling like that yet but we know you and i know that that could happen and that's when you go for a long time with als like we have that's a fatigue factor of concern that just continues to build up where with you I bet you were, and I'm not sure that this is true because I haven't lived the the ALS life you have. So you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you lived on an adrenaline high almost. Like things happen so much,
2: so quick. All the time. I've never been a great sleeper. I've always, ever since having kids, I felt like I got into dad mode and was always sleeping with one eye open. And I think that's what made me better for Lisa was that I didn't, ever need, never got seven hours, six hours of straight sleep. I always have been a two to three hour person. So I was not perfect. There were many nights where I got very mad and aggravated, but I got up and did it. It's That was the end result was no matter what, Lisa knew that, that I got up for her and did what I had to do. It changed so fast that it, it was hard for me to stay online and not be asking questions. Like for me, I. I felt like I helped people, but I, I definitely got more out of all of you people than I got, got, gave back.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: that's what the purpose was for me to be on there was, seeing how fast my wife went and now knowing what I know and seeing other people, I'm always like, wow, it just it's so different. And like you said, as far as Tom falling, Lisa fell in between me and my dad, sitting right here. She fell right here. Mm-hmm. I was sitting, standing here and she broke four ribs and we brought her into the emergency room and it turned out she had eight broken ribs that she had fallen before that you didn't you didn't assume because she didn't feel pain that's Mm -hmm. the thing with ALS is you don't feel pain until there's other things brought into it so I never she never felt anything until I heard her breathing funny and that's when I brought her in because I was worried about her lungs and that's when we got into the and she was in there at the ICU for three days and after that we came out that's when everything just kind of went shh fast track
0: on probably because she was um progressing so quickly um she didn't feel the typical pain that people with ALS can feel right because like for tom because he's a big guy he's like he's a yep. big guy his upper body hangs and boy that his shoulder he has a lot of pain in his shoulders yep. and and his his bones and stuff like that because yep. he got he can't fight gravity you know
2: pain Lisa ever had was her right forearm right here. And I couldn't figure out what to do. And I think that was the first part that went on her was her right hand.
1: Mm.
2: But that right forearm, just little section right about here, that was the one part that she would always be holding. And of course she had um pseudobulbar, so Lisa always looked like she was either crying all the time, even when she was in a good mood until we got new dexter which was a medication that alleviated that. So she came back to normal where it was we were able to converse with her because with her not being, she was verbal at the beginning, but as it started to progress, that went away quickly. She would get frustrated by not being able to talk, which in turn would get me frustrated and seeing how everything was transpiring. It was trying to just keep ahead, keep, keep your, keep your cool, not knowing that everything was going so fast. We only talked about ALS one time, which I, for me, blessing in disguise, in all honesty. I mean, I look at dementia and I feel bad when people lose their mind because they have their body. My wife w- lost her mind and her body. And mm-hmm. for me together, that was a better scenario than seeing the gentleman today who is completely competent and cognizant, knows everything and knows that he has ALS and that he's dying and it's going slower for him. but. That's constant I, I mean for Tom, I, you know he's got a great attitude as far as going out and living because if you think about it, it's not a good thought process and you, we have no idea how long the time frame is.
0: Well, I learned from, from Tom, which was a new so we'll be married almost 40 years soon and in, in uh, I don't, I don't, less than two weeks we'll be married for 40 Graduate. years. And um, I learned <laughs> something new about him when I did a quick podcast with him last week um for this caregiver life and he shared that he doesn't feel grief he doesn't it rolls off of him for himself personally um certainly not when his mom and dad died or if one of the kids or i something happens to us he would he would grieve very hard i think he's he cries very easily though he doesn't have the bulbar um yeah. als you always have elements he has elements of it you know like yeah. he, We'll choke on water kind of thing. Yep. Um, but, and I will explain in our, in the description of this caregiver life, the difference between the bar and limb onset. We won't spend time in the podcast doing that, but I like to do that for listeners because we're, yeah. we're getting a little technical, I guess, but um, he doesn't feel the grief for himself. He gets up and he continues on every day. That's what he does. It's a gift yep. for him every day that he's alive. And that's how he does it. And he's the model for me to follow. I don't know that I would be so good at it if it wasn't for him. He leads the way for me in that. Yeah. Um, they, they, and so.
2: they, I truly think that the pals are, they, they're, they're the ones that Lisa gave me the strength. The days that I felt like I was failing her and said, let me go get you help. I'm not doing a good job. But she slipped out of bed. Lisa would try to get out of bed in the morning. If I wasn't there, she would slide right out onto the floor. So we had to put strips on the ground to try to keep her locked in, so she couldn't. Then I had to barricade her, kind of. And it mm-hmm. got you just every day was, you know, we were improvising all the time. You're, you're, you're in a position where I think that you're almost you, you're expecting things to happen at some point. For me, it I was just a, it, constant, yeah. a constant flip over every day, mm-hmm. doing something. The occupational therapist and the speech pathologist told me they're like, your mind is incredible as far as what I was able to do, for Felisa, to, to, on a daily basis, just to adapt. Like I didn't have something, well, what can I use to get through the day?
0: Well, it's um, yeah. very true. I did have time to adapt and um, and have some some planning, but I'll be honest, I really thought I would be a, a widow for a few years by now. I didn't, yes. nobody, I can, 10 I years going imagine.
2: on. And I'm so perplexed by that, how it's, they Say three to five, and it's like, well, what about the people that have been in it for 17? Does that mean that somebody's dying at a month? And I think that you know, is the diagnosis and ALS is so ambiguous, so to speak. You know, they have a couple tests, but there's nothing concrete. I so knew once that it was there.
0: We don't have a treatment, we don't have a test, we don't have a treatment, we don't have a, don't have a cure. But, and um, as Tom says, because people ask him all the time, what do you, do you hope for all that? where's your hope and he he's not a believer in hope because he can't be seen hope is an unseen thing and that's not his thing but he has optimism he's optimistic and he's grateful that there are people who get up every day and either care for somebody who has als or goes into the lab and does research or like dr dr Bedlack, who comes to work every day doing his best for our pals And our cows, so that they have the best life possible, and hope you know he he he's optimistic that there will be something for people with ALS. Whether it's him or not is a different story. Right. Don't waste any time worrying about those things. And I and I um, we're getting close to the end of our um, our interview, but I wanted to ask you if you could um, share with us what you're doing now.
2: What I'm doing now, well, interesting how you said at the beginning of how our experiences with caregiving during this COVID virus is, I felt like I was a pro walking into it. Unfortunately for me, i had taken some time off, We past last August. I traveled a little bit. I saw family kind of just trying to get back the hours that I gave for sanity purposes for myself. So I had looked at targeting March right after my birthday is trying to get back into the workforce. And then we got turned upside down with this COVID. So I've tried to figure out what I wanted to do. I've talked to some people. I got into caregiving again. I'm actually doing it. I don't know if it's something I recommend to a lot of people to take care of the person you love and then go out and share it. I'm getting better at it. It's not as emotional, but I can do it. I have the skills and I know that that's where my skills are Helping somebody else go through it is, you know, it's really therapeutic for them knowing that, I'm go- that I went through it already and for me knowing that I'm helping somebody again because after Lisa least I, I got taken back as to what I, what I wanted to do or what I was going to do. My career had been upside down for quite a few years for this. So I'm thinking that through everything I've learned that supplies, getting stuff to people, is probably the avenue where I'm best suited. I am Lisa never was going to be a clinical trial person, so I never really got invested into that aspect of it. I knew that there was three areas of it, you know, the caregiving, treatments, and then a cure. So for me, it was the caregiving. That's where my strength lies. Now I'm into finding more about treatments and things like that. as the time has gone on, I've stayed involved in ALS. Some people run away from it. And that's fine. I absolutely get that. There's many days where i just just wanna get off the grid. But for now, I'm trying to get back into the workforce. I'm trying to find myself. I've lost 35 pounds. I got on the scale today. I've a lot of it was starting during caregiving, but it's I've taken you know could I've taken I'm starting to take care of myself better. And you get lost in it knowing that. I had my mom for when I was a kid growing up that she always looked after me. And then when she passed away, I had, my wife was already in my life. So she looked after me and at 51 years old, I didn't have anybody looking after me. And ironically, my son's the one that made me go get tested for COVID a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, thank you. Somebody does care about me. So that's a hard part too, is finding you yourself.
0: negative for COVID. We want to say that. Negative
2: for COVID. No, Absolutely negative. negative. Like, yes.
0: like you were, but you took good, Took good care of yourself and had the test done, so now you know.
2: Yep, now I know exactly, and I knew that it was something different. And I'm healthy, and I'm able to provide and help. Oh, geez, the woman I'm helping out
1: she, she's she's multi sizes Lisa. She
2: might be 100 pounds soaking wet, and her husband's two and a half times her size. So me being able to go in there and help the the full time care the caregivers that they have normally, me being able to go in there and lift them up and help her is she really thanked me a lot today and it really hit home and made me feel good, you know, and not having a job and trying to figure out what I want to do is kind of crazy, but knowing that you're appreciated and that you do make a difference in other people's lives is what keeps, just keeps me going every day.
0: Well, as you, can, really as, you to can, as you continue to heal, and it's a long process to heal your own soul and heart, yep. you're finding your way. And um, I think you're doing a great job with it and I think you will continue to. You continue to honor Lisa by being out there and talking about a very difficult conversation, losing somebody you love with a very challenging disease um, and keeping that awareness out there. It's so important to us in the caregiving community but it's more important evenly for, even more so for our ALS community. We want people to know about ALS. We want people to care about it and we want people to help us in our search for a treatment and a cure and for care you know for caring for people who have als
2: we need help from outside of our community this whole the whole entire als spectrum of all the organizations and everything are kind of built around pals and cows
0: mm-hmm.
2: trying to generate support and i don't as you said earlier the time you spend doing the caregiving and taking care of it then to be able to want to go out and do all that extra that's awful lot on people and for me personally i felt on my own observations of what i've seen is that those glorious vacations that people take they're wonderful but i can't tell you how many i've seen go downhill because of the amount of effort put into doing those vacations now going and relaxing on a beach or sitting there is a good thing but i think going all around and doing everything that can add up to things And the vacations, and I think that know that you are doing enough. I think that people, they don't get, I did my absolute best for me. Was I a hundred percent? No, I was a hundred percent of Michael Bowen living up to his human potential and asking me to do a hundred percent every day is not feasible and you can't beat yourself up over it. You just have to progress and keep chugging along.
0: Chugging along, I love that, and I think we'll end on that note. We're all different. We all handle our grief different. Um, we handle the difficulties that come in our life, even our joys in our life. We handle yeah. it all differently. We're all different. People who have ALS are all different. And if you met one person with ALS, you met one person with ALS.
2: And I will advocate forever for it. And when my wife, when least couldn't talk, to this was our "I love you," and that's why I tattooed it.
0: Okay, cool. I love that. Send me a picture of your tattoo and I'll, I'll share that um, on This Caregiver Life Facebook page. So for our listeners, if you want to know if you have any questions for Michael or questions for me, you can send us a message at thiscaregiverlife at gmail.com or you can send us an audio question. We would love that as well. You can find us on This Caregiver Life Uh, Facebook page, This Caregiver on Twitter, and This Caregiver Life on Instagram. I've really enjoyed having you on the the program today, Michael, and I hope that you'll come back periodically and give us an update. You're one of our rare caregiver um, males who have spoken to me on this program. So I thank you so much.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad that you provided me with a spark to get back into actually getting out. My daughter asked me today, why are you going to go on and do it? And I said, because if I don't get out and do it now, I don't know if I ever will. And I said, Mary's provided me an opportunity, which I thank you for. And I look forward to coming back on if, when needed.
0: OK, great. Well, till the next time. Mm-hmm.